just want to be here to support her mom and her, her family and, and, and her. Dozens of volunteers show up to help search for a Kelowna woman and her dog feared swept away by floodwaters. Plus, we need, need to leave a room for the small business to survive. The financial relief considered for Vancouver businesses burdened by Broadway construction and... There's so much talent in the downtown east side and we just want more and more people to know about it. The unique street art showcase in Vancouver as muralists help change the message in graffiti-laced Chinatown. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The search resumed today along Kelowna's Mission Creek for a missing woman and her dog. It's feared the pair may have been washed away by the fast-moving waters currently being inundated by the freshet. And as Paul Johnson reports, dozens of volunteers joined the search efforts this weekend following a temporary suspension because of the hazardous conditions. Shoulder to shoulder, and you'll be walking extremely slow. You'll be looking for any types of clues. A third day of searching the banks of Kelowna's Mission Creek. Chelsea's been my best friend since 2009, and uh, anything that I can do to help find her or find anything that would lead us in the direction of finding her. Though the water levels have come down substantially since Tuesday morning, when Chelsea Cardno and her dog went missing, presumably from a walk along the Mission Greenway. The creek is still treacherous, and with 120 volunteers out on the search Saturday, their safety was also top of mind. The river is raging, it's dangerous, and I don't want to be out looking for more people. The search covered an extensive area from Hollywood Road south to the mouth of Mission Creek in Lake Okanagan, where a boat has been deployed to look for any sign of her there. If Saturday's search fails to find her, it's expected family, RCMP and search and rescue officials will have to make the decision whether to continue the search of the creek. I am a little surprised, yes. I'd hope that we'd be able to find some sort of a clue, but we'll still keep looking. For the friends, family and neighbours helping in the search Saturday, Chelsea's disappearance, without a trace so far, has been utterly baffling and heartbreaking. I just want to do anything I can to help. Uh, Chelsea's a long childhood friend and it's hard to be at home just waiting for answers so we're here to do our part. Paul Johnson, Global News. In the shoe swap, unstable weather patterns over the next week are making it more difficult for forecasters to predict when peak levels for lakes and rivers will be reached. The BC River Forecast Centre now says the flood risk at Shoe Swap Lake could persist possibly into July. The delayed snowmelt is also contributing to that risk. The Shoe Swap Emergency Operations Centre will remain in place throughout the weekend to help manage localized flooding. Dozens of residents in the Sycamus Creek Mobile Home Park have been living on and off evacuation alerts since the end of April due to the ongoing threat of a landslide. And that uncertainty has most residents on edge. It's their third evacuation alert in just under two months due to the threat of a landslide near Wiseman Creek. And the residents at the Sycamus Creek Mobile Home Park are left unsure of whether they're staying or going. It's very stressful. You have to have everything in your bag, your go bag, ready to go. It's, it's un unnerving because it could come in the middle of the night. It could come in order in the middle of the night, which would be 
you know, very heavy for the elderly in here. Um, it's nerve-wracking. That's about it. It's, it's not an easy way to live. Gamble says in the event of a landslide and an evacuation order were to be issued, residents would only have about 15 to 20 minutes to leave. So it, it inhibits your, uh, your daily routine. Yes, it does. The risk of a landslide in the mobile home park increased this year after a severe wildfire last summer that left the ground unstable near the watershed, which could lead to a debris flow if the water in the creek becomes too full. And at this point, Gamble believes the area might be in the clear if weather conditions are favorable. There hasn't been anything coming down the mountain. The creek hasn't risen uh, to the uh, levels that they had expected. So uh, it is high. Everything is high around here at this moment. Um, but as of the debris flow or mudslide, uh, I think we're okay. Gamble also says a permanent fix to avoid any future landslide risks may not be in the district's budget. Unfortunately, there isn't a lot of mitigation that can be done because it runs up into the millions. Um, it's a small community. I mean, if it was above Sycamus, maybe there would be another you know, more done, I don't know. It's it's just, it, it, you can't expect uh, them to put in millions of dollars for a possibility. I spoke to other residents in the area who believe more could have been done to prevent the risk of a landslide, like adding a culvert to the area. And they say having an evacuation alert in place for so long is an uncomfortable way to live. Victoria Famia, Global News in Sycamus. The rising water levels have also impacted the cleanup from last November's flooding and washouts. Months after the destructive storm washed out highways and inundated communities, crews are still working to remove debris. But the current high water levels and multiple advisories mean they've suspended debris removal operations along major waterways. BC's Environmental Emergency Program says they're assessing 55 sites where large volumes of sediment were deposited by the floods to see if they adversely impact people, infrastructure and the environment. Some better news today in parts of the Peace region where the River Forecast Centre has now downgraded the alert for the rivers and tributaries in the area to a high stream flow advisory. This includes those around Fort St. John, Taylor, Chetwind, Moberly Lake, Pine Pass, Hudson's Hope and Dawson Creek. Right now, forecasters say stream levels are not expected to exceed five-year thresholds for most sites. But elevated water levels may persist in the coming days, depending on how much rain falls. And on that note, Chief Meteorologist Mark Madriga is here now for more. And Mark, what can we expect in the coming days when it comes to the flood risk? Well, overall, the weather has been cooperating for the most part uh, with this fresh season. And uh, we haven't had any really long-lived heat I'll show you a graph in a moment. I don't expect any for a while either. Precipitation has been on and off. We'd like it to be reduced, but certainly today again and possibly even tomorrow, we have uh, thunderstorms rolling through the interior. Now, that's fairly localized pockets of heavy rain, which is not a worst-case scenario, but certainly there is some in there feeding to the, into the streams and rivers. Now, temperatures in the interior, again, have, have been moderate, not really high, and again, no really hot weather that I see for at least another week. That said, for example, Thompson, Okanagan, mid mid-20s on the mountains a little cooler but there is a warming trend on the way but again it could be 35 at this time of year 26 is okay so I'll leave it at that for now and again there will be some issues with high water for a while as mentioned in the story but our weather forecast coming up soon too all right looking forward to that thanks so much Mark 
A tragic end to the search for a missing Victoria woman who had advocated to get access to a life-changing drug. 35-year-old Lilia Zaharyeva was reported missing yesterday, but soon after, West Shore RCMP said she was found deceased. Foul play is not suspected. Lilia lived with cystic fibrosis, which meant she had an impaired immune system. She had been lobbying government to pay for a costly drug, which increased her lung capacity. It's among the drugs only covered by government if it's deemed cost-effective, even if they can be life-saving for some people with rare diseases. A plea tonight to help find a missing man who also volunteers with Whistler Search and Rescue. Toby Salen was last seen in Pemberton at about 9 o'clock Thursday morning. His 2021 black Chevrolet crew cab was later located off West Lillooet Road around the Shukshmuk Forest Service Road southeast of Pemberton. But a subsequent search of the area found no sign of him. The president of Whistler Search and Rescue says he was likely scoping out his next big adventure in the mountains that he loves so much. If you see the 51-year-old, you're asked to call police or Crime Stoppers. And Dees Lake RCMP are asking for the public's help to locate a missing 42-year-old man. Joseph Thomas Chief was last seen on the evening of Tuesday, June 14th, walking his dogs along Highway 37 near a rest stop north of Boya Lake. He was last seen wearing a blue sweater and sweatpants. It's believed he could be traveling to the Yukon. If you have any information on his whereabouts, you're asked to call police. A carjacking suspect is speed spending the weekend in jail after allegedly committing two similar crimes in less than four months. 25-year-old Jules Picard is accused of threatening a 67-year-old man with a box cutter and stealing his car near Pacific Boulevard and Nelson Street early Friday. The victim took a cab to VPD headquarters to report the incident, and the suspect was spotted driving near Maine and Hastings. Picard, who is known to police, was arrested and charged with robbery and breaching his release order. He's also accused of robbery, assault with a weapon, and vehicle theft for an alleged knife-point carjacking on West Georgia Street in February. Another reminder tonight that ICBC gas rebates will not be issued via text message or email. The scam that ICBC warned customers about in March appears to be circulating again. Text messages about the gas relief rebate are likely fake and you should delete them. Some customers are now getting texts with spelling errors stating the system has encountered a problem actioning their $110 rebate for high gas costs and asking them to reply or click on a link. Do not reply or click on any links. As of last Monday, ICBC says 600,000 rebates have gone out and all eligible customers should receive their rebate by the end of July. Two days after Vancouver and Toronto were named the two Canadian host cities for the 2026 Men's World Cup, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney spoke out on his radio show today on Edmonton's failed bid. There has been some criticism of his provincial government and how long it took to offer financial help. We're the only province that uh, gave a guarantee of financial support, $110 million worth. Uh, Ontario and, uh, sorry, Toronto and Vancouver were selected as host cities and neither of those governments came forward with those commitments. Uh, So we indicated our support in principle from the beginning. We had to work through certain issues. Uh, But Wayne, you, you don't write a blank check on taxpayers. While there was a financial commitment, the funding was contingent on Edmonton hosting at least five games and at least two of the games being in the round of 32 or round of 16 knockout stages. 
Next year's Formula E race in Vancouver is hitting a red light after this year's event was scrapped. In a statement, Formula E confirms it has cut ties with Montreal-based OSS Group, the promoter and operator of the race in Vancouver. That means Vancouver will not be included in the provisional race calendar for 2023 when it's published in the coming days. But the organization adds it remains actively interested in bringing the event to Vancouver in the future. And coming up, construction chaos consolation. Our location is quite convenient, but now we lost completely the convenience. The potential financial relief coming for businesses bruised by the Broadway subway project. Plus, the second annual Sick Riders Convoy to Kamloops honors residential school victims. Construction is well underway to build the extension of the subway line along Broadway in Vancouver, but now the city of Vancouver is considering offering some financial relief to business owners struggling to stay open during the often disruptive building process. Imadagahi reports. When we design a big project like this, we need, need to leave a room for the small business to survive. After 12 years as owner, Maydur knows her business model and customer habits quite well. A dollar store goes hand in hand with convenience. Our location is quite convenient, but now we lost completely the convenience. That has led to a 40% loss in revenue for the locally owned business on Broadway and Yukon in Vancouver, all since the pavement in front of their store disappeared. Because from the construction start until now, I have put all my life savings in it and I don't have any more. And then I went to the bank. The bank didn't approve any of my application of loan because our sales are dropping. So I need some kind of financial help. The construction of the Broadway subway has choked off many stores, blocking street exposure and in many cases significantly reducing access. And after many pleas from struggling small business owners, the city of Vancouver is now looking into some sort of financial relief, spurred on by a motion from Councillor Colleen Hardwick. Well, I became aware of the plight of merchants along Broadway. Hardwick says particular help is needed by businesses along what is called cut and cover sections of construction that is limiting pedestrian, vehicle and bus access. She points to the city of Montreal, which has an assistance program of up to $40,000 per year for establishments along major construction. And despite the subway line being a provincial project, Hardwick says the city should help where it can. We're talking about property taxes and business licenses, and we're talking about a very limited scope and a limited period of time. So I think the, the greater good in the city would prevail in this case. Already, at least two businesses have named construction disruptions as one of the reasons for closing permanently. And Maydor says if the city's assistant program does not come to fruition soon, she and others may be forced to join them. Emadagahi, Global News. 80 years after thousands of Japanese Canadians were interned during the Second World War, the township of Esquimalt has taken steps to recreate North America's oldest Japanese tea garden. A 
special ceremony with traditional indigenous dancers and Japanese drummers marked the grand opening of Gorge Park Pavilion at Esquimalt Gorge Park on the Gorge Waterway outside of Victoria. The 6,000-square-foot, two-floor building boasts views of the water and gardens and is intended to be a community gathering space. Its design was influenced by the original Japanese tea garden built in 1907. The tea house operated for decades before it was vandalized in 1942 when Japanese Canadians were forced into internment. It is very gratifying. Personally, the whole internment of Japanese Canadians uh, is very close to me, uh, a very personal uh, event in my family. There is redress and, and uh, restitution for what, uh, what took place 80 years ago. So I think this huge, you know, this huge symbol will help remind people of that history. And so it's an incredibly meaningful thing to be here today, especially with a number of extended relatives um, who have come from Ontario. My, my grandfather is in town today at 96 years of age. The pavilion was funded with part of the 17 million in amenity funds Esquimalt received from the Capital Regional District in exchange for the use of McLaughlin Point for the region's wastewater treatment plant. A new exhibit at the Vancouver Public Library is bringing awareness to a tragic era in Canadian history. It tells the story of the 60s scoop, the practice of governments removing Indigenous newborn children from their families, leading to a drastic overrepresentation of Indigenous youth in the child welfare system, a problem that persists today. By the 1970s, roughly one-third of all children in care in B.C. were Indigenous, and 70% of them were placed in non-Aboriginal homes. And many of those foster homes denied the child's Indigenous heritage, leading to a loss of family, community, culture and language. We're beginning to speak our truth. And if there's ever to be reconciliation between survivors and mainstream society at large, it must begin with truth-telling. I think it's really important to recognize the trauma that Indigenous people in this country have faced for generations and not tell us to get over it. We are working very hard to get over it, but at some point in time there has to become a meeting place. For the second year in a row, members of the Sick Riders of Canada rode to Kamloops to honour those impacted by the residential school system. The Solidarity Ride began in Abbotsford at 9 o'clock this morning with motorcyclists joining along the way from Chilliwack, Lillooet and Kelowna. The group held a similar ride to the former Kamloops Indian Residential School about a year ago following the news of more than 200 possible unmarked graves at the site. And coming up, organizational upheaval, the leadership mess in one of the country's most prominent First Nation groups. Plus... With a warning on each cigarette, you can't escape. The Canadian first being considered for cigarette warning labels. A significant shakeup for West Bank First Nation. Chief Christopher Derrickson abruptly announced his resignation this week. And as Global's Victoria Famia reports, the decision is said to be based on a lack of integrity from council following the unauthorized sale of a piece of land last year. Early Friday morning, West Bank First Nation Chief Christopher Derrickson announced his resignation from council after evidence of alleged corruption was brought to light. 
In his resignation letter, Derrickson says he was elected on a platform of good governance, which he says should empower the people through transparency and decisions should never be influenced by personal interest or relationships. Derrickson says the alleged corruption stems from the unauthorized and undervalued sale of 147 acres of land owned by the West Bank First Nations near Peachland back in March 2021. At his request, Derrickson launched an independent third-party investigation in June 2021 into the transaction. However, he says council shut the investigation down. The land, located near Pincushion Mountain, was sold by two WFN employees at a price of $1.5 million that an independent investigator says occurred without council approval. More information came out in the Bueller report, which Derrickson says highlights gaps in the nation's governance and offered 16 recommendations for positive changes. Upon implementing these changes is when evidence of alleged corruption was brought to light. In his resignation letter, Derrickson states... Independent appraisals obtained by WFN estimate the unauthorized sale of $1.5 million undervalued the land by at least $2 million. The report raises issues of honesty and integrity of certain former senior employees and of deception of the WFN Council and lack of Council fulfilling its duties of oversight and continuing accountability to members. Derrickson added that fighting corruption and promoting accountability, integrity and transparency was the right thing to do, but has taken a toll on his family and his mental and physical health. No by-election is necessary, according to WFN's constitution, as there are only three months remaining in his term. Global News has reached out to the West Bank First Nation for further comment, but are told they're not making any further statements at this time. Victoria Famia, Global News. There is a growing leadership crisis in one of Canada's most high-profile Indigenous groups. The Assembly of First Nations has suspended National Chief Roseanne Archibald over complaints about bullying behaviour. But as Mike Trolet reports, Archibald says she's being targeted by a smear campaign and is pledging not to give up her post. The beginning of the summer solstice is a traditional time for many Indigenous groups to celebrate their culture through song and dance, not the political drama that has consumed the assembly of First Nations. Politics is a place where this doesn't belong. AFN National Chief Roseanne Archibald, the first woman to lead the AFN, has long fought to make the organization more inclusive and transparent. On Thursday, Archibald tweeted she was the victim of a smear campaign while calling for a forensic audit and independent inquiry into the conduct of the AFN over the last eight years. Without giving details, the AFN Executive Committee revealed it would be looking into complaints that had been made against Archibald. Archibald responded by saying she would shine a light on corruption and collusion within the AFN. That ultimately led to her suspension for unfounded and unsubstantiated public attacks on the integrity of the AFN. Russell Diabo, who worked under two national chiefs in the 1980s and 90s, says it appears to him that elements within the AFN were uncomfortable with her allegations. That's clear. Um, So what is it that they're afraid of? What is it the executive committee and this um, chief executive officer are afraid of in terms of an audit or an investigation into AFN's... uh, Where did that money go and how was it used? Archibald says she's not backing down, but where she goes from here is unclear. In addition to her suspension, the AFN executive has banned her from attending its annual General Assembly in July, 
which Diabo believes is an overreach. But to, to say she can't, uh, she's suspended uh, and she can't go to the National uh, Assembly, I think that's way beyond the scope of their authority. And I think there will be consequences. That, that meeting in Vancouver, mark my words, is going to be very hot and heavy. But will it provide the clarity the AFN so desperately needs? Mike Trillet, Global News, Toronto. The federal government is hoping new labels will get Canadians to butt out. The proposal would see warnings on the cigarettes themselves and not just the packaging. But will it actually get smokers to kick the habit? Global Charmin Samani has more. Despite years of warnings about cancer, heart and lung disease, as well as death, 13% of Canadians still smoke. But now, in an effort to lower tobacco use, the federal government is proposing something no other country has. Warnings on individual cigarettes. But will this make any difference for smokers? Not much. Legal. They ain't doing nothing anyway, so they a waste of money. Psychology and Health Sciences professor Jeffrey Fong works on an international tobacco control project. It measures the psychological and behavioral impact of policies introduced by WHO. He says repeated exposure to warning labels can be very effective. It's right on the place that you're taking the puffs. It's really um, uh, a very um, strong advancement of warning labels. Health Canada says warnings on single cigarettes are especially meant to target youth who often share a pack. They bypass the warnings that are on the pack. With a warning on each cigarette, you can't escape it and you're exposed to it. I'm fully uh, on board with that plan. But that shouldn't be all that you do. Public health professor Robert Schwartz says the warnings are a great first step, but more is needed. We still have cigarettes available at every corner store and often 24 hours a day. We know that availability is one of the things that makes people purchase more often. The Canadian government could have raised the taxes, raising the minimum age from the current 18 or 19. If approved, we'll see updated labels on cigarette packs and other tobacco products, as well as warnings on individual cigarettes next year. Charmin Samani, Global News. Coming up, a sign of the times on the slopes. It actually kind of came up as a joke a few weeks ago that we could probably open on June 17th. Sun Peaks opens its trails to snowshoers on this abnormal June weekend. Taking a look here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, you are in great shape for your sunny Saturday evening commute. Traffic is moving nicely in all directions and you can see underneath there Highway 17 east and westbound is problem free. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. In Global One, I'm Jeremy Tubbs. All right. Thanks very much for that, Jeremy. Mark Madriga and I are standing here looking at that shot saying, is that sun on the bridge? Well, I, I shouldn't be surprised since I'm forecasting the weather. So I, we did see some breaks coming. And yeah, yes, you bet. It looks good uh, yeah. locally. Yeah. Jeremy working all day on that. Exactly. He worked all day to bring the sun. Of course, right? <laughs> he did. Uh, this vantage point to, from downtown Vancouver Wall Center Hotel looking west. There is still some cloud out there, but it's a pretty nice evening here in the Vancouver area. There's more cloud to the east of us in the Fraser Valley. High today was 18. It's close 
close to 18 now. Last year, 19. The average is 20. So we're getting there. Uh, summer begins officially on Tuesday, very early in the morning. And that first day of summer, Tuesday, should be a little warmer, at least 20, 21 degrees around here. Now, we did have some showers pop up East Vancouver Island this afternoon, just west of Howe Sound. They're fizzling a bit. But the big story in the interior, once again, those isolated thunderstorms and uh, some creeping up through the Okanagan. You see it's not extensive lightning everywhere, but certainly some thunder and lightning this afternoon, Bulkley Valley area. This air is coming this way. It's coming this way here. That means there's a trough right in there, and that's a trigger for thunderstorms. So it makes sense that we had some in the interior today. Not as many tomorrow, but still a few. I'll get that forecast going in just a moment for the regions. As I go through overnight, it'll cloud over again in Metro Vancouver, looking for a few showers to start the day for tomorrow, Father's Day. And then we'll get a little more afternoon, but maybe not a lot, but certainly it should brighten up again tomorrow afternoon. Here we go with our regions. 20-20-20, consistent in the piece with a risk of a thunderstorm again tomorrow. On to Whitehorse, it's been brilliant. Mix of sun and cloud as well tomorrow. Nice and sunny for Monday. Northern BC coast, though, you're going to be back into some clouds and showers as we go through tomorrow and a few more on Monday, too. Into the central interior, the Caribou region, uh, partly sunny tomorrow. That mix again. Chance of afternoon showers or thunderstorms and similar in the Columbia Kootenai with that risk of thunderstorms again later tomorrow. But Monday, Tuesday, a lot of spots will be dry and at least a mix of sun and cloud and warmer, including the Thompson Okanagan. So hang in there. Tomorrow, still that chance of afternoon lightning, but a lot warmer Monday, Tuesday. Whistler going up a bit, especially on Monday. Tuesday could be a bit higher than I'm showing here, but certainly it looks dry Monday, Tuesday across the south coast, including the east side of the island. A slight chance of showers on the east island, Victoria, later tomorrow. Our greatest chance of a shower, Metro Vancouver, is in the morning tomorrow. A little clearing in the afternoon. Two pretty good days Monday, Tuesday, and only a slight chance of a shower Wednesday, Thursday. There you are. Not too bad at all. Thanks, Mark. Well, this cool spring may be impacting our flood risk, but it's also led to the return of the ski season at a few BC hills. Mount Washington Resort on Vancouver Island reopening the lifts this weekend for skiers and snowboarders. Normally by this time, the resort's mountain bike trails are the main draw, but enough snow is still on the ground. The decision was made to restart one chairlift to access a handful of runs for Father's Day weekend. And what are the conditions like? Uh, heavy, slushy, and lots of fun. The sun and the fun and time with uh, my daughter. It's Father's Day weekend. We figure why not come skiing and dress up at the same time and make people smile. Great outfits. For both days this weekend, the resort is giving free passes to all dads. And at Sun Peaks Resort, they decided to open up a chairlift for people to go snowshoeing through trails on Todd Mountain this weekend. Sun Peaks is also normally filled with mountain bikers at this time of year, but there's still plenty of snow on the ground. The idea has been a surprise success, and many guests have strapped on their snowshoes to explore the mountain. So much fun. Mm -hmm. At least one silver lining of the cool spring, right? Exactly. Okay. Such a contrast from this time last year. All right, Barry's here for a preview of what is coming up in sports. Welcome back, Barry. What mm -hmm. do you have ahead? Yeah, I was going to say, nice to be in uh, royal, you know, global weather royalty with Yeah, I know. Amazing right. that he's <laughs> making a weekend appearance. Uh, yeah, well, you got uh, lots coming up. Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford in contention at the U.S. Open in Boston. So we'll have highlights of his terrific round three. Whitecaps are on the field right now in Dallas. And uh, the Avalanche living up to their name, burying the uh, Lightning in the mm. Stanley Cup Finals. So highlights of Game 2 coming up as well. Yeah, we've been watching that for Mark. He's been tuned in <laughs> as well. Thanks very much for that. Also ahead, Street Art on Showcase.
It's time to give back because of all the years that I was a mess, you know, and now, now I'm giving back. How a well-known muralist is helping to change the message in Chinatown at a special event dedicated to the work like his. Days after a pair of downtown Eastside street artists changed the message on Chinatown graffiti, the Chinese Garden held a special art show to highlight the often hidden talents of their neighbors. Kristen Robinson reports. In Chinatown, Tommy Wong is continuing the conversation. Step your life and honor. Started by his handwritten message directed at the taggers defacing his storefront. The herbal merchant's frustration caught the attention of two downtown east side street artists who responded with a graffiti gift. You're enjoying this? Yep, I'm going to enjoy it. Excellent. Wong now adding a personal touch, labeling some of his ginseng and herb products. As Dr. Sun Yat-sen classical Chinese garden hosts Smoky Devil, <laughs> and some of his downtown east side colleagues for a one-day exhibit titled Unity. We want to give them a platform to showcase the work that they deserve and the recognition that they deserve. The collaboration between the two neighboring communities, a thank you to those helping Chinatown. Smokey D overwhelmed by the reception. Yeah, that's cool, eh? You gotta like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it's been a lot better than handcuffs. <laughs> After spending time in jail for graffiti and losing his wife to an overdose, he now uses the power of his art to document the fentanyl crisis. It's huge, it's huge, it's huge. I really like it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's time to give back because of all the years that I was a mess, you know? High Hopes is supporting the underrepresented street artists empowering Smokey D, Boy, Ken Foster, and Edgar Rossetti to share their style and stories based on lived experience. There's so much talent in the downtown east side and we just want more and more people to know about it and, and help them live a, you know, a really great life and live off their art. Smokey's efforts resonating on the streets of Chinatown, where his latest work has hit the front page of Ming Pao. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A public block party was held in Vancouver's Mount Pleasant neighborhood today to celebrate the opening of a youth academy that encourages racialized youth to explore the so-called STEAM fields. Ethos Lab is operated by a black-led organization that's been offering virtual STEAM-based education for young people of all backgrounds. STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts and Math. Now the lab has opened up its first permanent physical home to offer after-school curriculum for those 12 to 18 years old. In the STEAM fields, uh, there's an underrepresentation of women and people of color, specifically black people. So Ethos Lab's um, uh, motive is to, uh, to address these problems and we're looking to empower the youth uh, with skills so that they can sculpt their futures and just trying to uh, bring some more equity in these fields. The organization is located inside a new building owned by the City of Vancouver and to be operated over the next 60 years by a non-profit cultural organization along with the Community Land Trust. All right, Barry's back with the full sports cast after this break. And later, the temporary Vancouver Aquarium resident released after rehab.
Canada Place on July 1st for Canada Together. Be there for a reimagined celebration in the spirit of reconciliation with the theme Weaving Together the Fabric of a Nation. Enjoy a day full of live performances, exhibits, food trucks, and more as a way to gather, celebrate, learn, and share. Head to the Royal BC Museum for two new exhibits. Visit Broken Promises, exploring the history of Japanese-Canadian dispossession, and Between Us, a series of portraits chronicling the beginning of the pandemic. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Celebrating Pride Month with Inside Pride, a global news special series. Go to globalnews.ca and click on the Inside Pride tab. All right, Barry's back, and he's got the full sports cast. Where are we starting today, Barry? We start with a little golf. Never a bad thing to start on the yeah. golf course on Father's Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much, Deethu. Uh, Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin only got into the U.S. Open last week uh, when Englishman Paul Casey withdrew, and Hadwin has made the most of his opportunity. He was the leader after round one after shooting a 4-under-66 on Thursday, which is still tied for the low round of the tournament. And today, when many of the top players in the world faltered, Hadwin held his nerve and is right in the mix with 18 holes to go. Plenty of big names near the top of the leaderboard, including the defending champ John Rahm. More from him later. Current uh, world number one Scotty Scheffler made a move yesterday and early in his round made another move right to the top of the leaderboard this will help from 101 yards out that's an eagle on the par five Scheffler with a two-shot lead at minus six but then it all went south for Scheffler tee shot on the short par three is right at it but it's deep and it gets into that rough and he would make a double bogey it started a run of five over par through four holes Scheffler went from minus six to minus one that's what happens in a blink at the u.s open but Scheffler did recover to get to minus two tied fourth the man making the move on moving day was will zalatoris great approach at 15 three under 67 for him takes the clubhouse lead at minus four meanwhile adam Hadwin kind of under the radar all day two early bogeys but then at the 14th out of the rough on the long par five this goes down for a birdie huge break for Hadwin. he's at two under just two off the lead Hadwin at the 15th now You need to make a lot of uh, long par putts at the U.S. Open to keep the momentum going. Adam has an eight-footer here for par at the 15th, but he slides it by, so he drops one to minus one. Englishman Matt Fitzpatrick, who won the U.S. Amateur on this very course in Boston back in 2013, brilliant approach at the 15th, and he would make the birdie, Ty Zalatoris, for the lead at four under back to Hadwin at the 17th now he's out of the deep rough on his second shot needs to get it onto the top shelf of the green just barely does it and then watch what happens that ball could roll back so Hadwin's not going to take any chances he's going to run up there to mark it and that was a good move because this is for birdie and he knocks it in for the birdie back to two under he's tied for third just two back of the lead. Matt Fitzpatrick on 17 for birdie. That's in. He's got the outright lead at five under, but he did bogey 18, so he finishes at minus four, tied with Zalatoris through 54. Hadwin, meanwhile, finishes on 18 with a solid par, even par 70, the eighth best round of the day in very tough conditions, right in the mix. He'll play in the third last group tomorrow with Scotty Scheffler, the world's number one ranked player. But the defending champ, John Rahm, made a late charge on 15 from 30 feet. That goes in for birdie, and he is tied in that group at four under for first. Rahm also birdied 17 to take the lead, but then on 18, disaster out of the fairway bunker. Cannot clear the lip, 
That led to a double bogey. Rahm is now solo third at minus three, one off the lead. It will be a fantastic finish tomorrow at the Country Club at Brookline. Meanwhile, on the LPGA Tour, Brooke Henderson looking to go back-to-back after her win last week in New Jersey at the Meyer LPGA Classic in Michigan. Brooke holding out for birdie from the bunker. Next hole, third shot on the par five. And this is also nicely done with the pitching iron as she would... uh, Get that to within tap-in distance, her third straight birdie, and she's in fourth place. And then at the 18th, a chance for Eagle and a chance to tie for the lead. Doesn't go down, but a nice lag for birdie. She's at 15 under third place, just three shots behind leader Nellie Corder as Brooke looks for another victory. The Whitecaps Roadshow has been nothing short of a nightmare this year. Six losses in seven games. Many of those losses lopsided, including the latest of 4-0 thrashing in Seattle just on Tuesday. But the Whitecaps are still only three points out of the final playoff spot in the West, but they best get their road act together or they will lose touch with the playoff line. Vancouver did beat Dallas at BC Place last month, but Dallas currently second in the West. But Vancouver has uh, not lost to them in their last five, and they get a good break early. Christian Dahomey cuts it back into the box. Lucas Cavallini gathers it. This one finds its way in. Not the prettiest, but the Caps will take it, and they are leading right now 1-0 late in the first half. Game two of the Stanley Cup Finals from Denver. Avalanche and Lightning. Colorado won the opener in overtime first period. Early power play, and former Victoria Grizzly Alex Newhook starts the play. It's the same OT combination from Game 1. Andre Burakovsky to Valerie Nachushkin, one nothing. Avalanche. And later in the first, Avs on the attack, and it's defenseman Josh Manson who will fire it past Andre Vasilevsky. 2-0 Colorado. Newhook got an assist on that one as well, and the Avs weren't done yet. Miko Rantanen with the shot off the rush. This is a planned play. Take it off the pads and then cash the rebound for Burakovsky. Second straight game, the Avs have scored three in the first, and they're up 4-0 now late in the second. A couple of BC boys who had outstanding major league careers were inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame today. New Westminster's Justin Morneau, who played 14 seasons in the bigs, mostly with the Twins, highlighted by the 2006 AL MVP award. He had 247 career homers and nearly 1,000 RBI. And North Delta's Jeff Francis, who played 11 major league seasons, also got in. He was a high first-round pick out of UBC, started a World Series game for the Colorado Rockies and also played for the Blue Jays. Two great baseball ambassadors deservedly now in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Blue Jays pitcher Hun Jin Ryu has uh, undergone Tommy John surgery to repair his badly damaged elbow, and that means Ryu will miss the rest of this season and possibly all of next season as well. The Jays signed the Korean to a four-year, $80 million deal in 2019, but they've really only gotten one good season out of him. Blue Jays and Yankees today from a sold-out Rogers Center. Alec Manoa, the former Canadian, best era in the American League, uh, best ERA, rather, in the American League. 8-1 record holding the Yankees down early until the fourth. Bases loaded. Aaron Hicks unloads them with this shot down the right field line. 3-0. Manoa did all he could, but that is a tough hitting Yankees lineup. Jays had their chances but could not get a clutch hit. Two on for Teoscar Hernandez here, but he will strike out looking 
Boy, you got to swing the bat against the Yankees. Matt Chapman will line out to end the game, and the Yanks win for the 16th time in their last 17. 4 nothing over the Jays. New York leads the AL East by a whopping 12 games over second-place Toronto. Formula One is in uh, Montreal for the Canadian Grand Prix. Wet day for qualifying. Sergio Perez proves that it's a little slick out there, slipping and sliding, and he will run into the barrier. He was fine. He ends up qualifying 13th. But it was points leader Max Verstappen who wins the poll, just the second poll of the season for the defending champion. So Red Bull on the uh, poll once more. He will be joined by 40-year-old Fernando Alonso. This was a shock. The Spanish veteran's first front row start since 2012, but a very popular driver on the circuit. Carlos Sainz and Lewis Hamilton on row two. The Canadians well back. Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi will be together in row nine. CFL tonight. Stan Peters in Hamilton to play the Tie Cats. Big first half for Hamilton. Already up 17-0. Dane Evans with his third TD pass of the half goes to Tim White who wins the battle there against the Calgary defensive back. Great catch. Tie Cats led 24 to nothing. But Calgary roars back. Four minutes to go. Dane Evans on the third and goal trying to get the first down but loses the ball. Titus White actually ripped it out of his hands, takes it back 45 yards for the touchdown. This game would go to overtime, tied at 30. After Calgary got a field goal on their first possession, Evans pass off the fingertips of his receiver and picked off by Jamar, uh, Jameer Thurman. And Calgary amazingly wins it 33-30. to The Lions, if you're wondering, have the bye week and they're home to Toronto next Saturday. That's it for sports. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. We'll be right back with the Vancouver Aquarium's first marine mammal rescue release of the year. Vancouver Aquarium is marking its first marine mammal rescue release of 2022. Ready? Good luck, baby. There we go. And there she goes. Penny the Harbor Seal was set free Friday on a secluded beach in Howe Sound. At first, she was a little reluctant to enter the water. Penny was rescued in February after suffering life-threatening injuries in a boat strike. She underwent several procedures to repair facial damage and also learned how to catch live prey during her months of successful rehab. After some coaxing, Penny was able to swim off on her own. So sweet. That's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us all. Good night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.